0: VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to
1: episode 232 of the ifreaks show. Today on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. Erica Sedun.
2: Hello from Denver.
1: This is James Zuber from Minneapolis, and we have a guest today. Uh, please welcome Joe Fabisevich.
3: Hi there, from New York. So, Joe, how's New York going on today? Uh, weather's nice, surprisingly. I'm enjoying myself. How are things over with you? Getting some warm weather here. So, you know,
1: by warm, I mean 40s. So we're surviving over here. But... Rush on the show, because you've got a new mailing list uh, that you've launched, and we'd like to hear more about it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your mailing
3: list? Sure. Uh, so I'm Joe Pepsovich. I've been doing iOS for about eight or nine years now. Um, you know, a really big fan of Swift. I've been doing it pretty much since, the, since Swift came out. And recently I have not really started, but actually taken over a Twitter account um, public extension, P U B L I C E X T E N S I O N, and the goal of it is to give you know Swift snippets every week to iOS developers who want to expand and expand their code bases and like figure out either convenient or interesting ways to make that happen. And the original creator was Jostev Singh. Uh, he's an iOS developer at Peloton, and ever since I took it over, I expanded it into a mailing list. And so you can sign up for it at get g e t r e v u e dot co slash public extension, slash profile, slash public extension, actually. Um, because that's how the URL schemes work. Um and yeah, so you basically get a Swift snippet delivered into your uh mailbox every Sunday morning.
1: So what's an example of a snippet I would have gotten in the last week or so?
3: Yeah, so I guess the one that I've enjoyed the most so far is actually a snippet that takes a UI color. And usually it's pretty difficult to get the components out of a UI color. Um, and this uh, adds a computed property on UI color called components, which returns you a tuple of red, green, blue, and alpha. And as a result, you just call components, you know, let components equals UI color dot gray dot components. And then you can just grab stop components components.blue, green alpha, all really quickly. It's kind of hard to explain code. over. <laughs> uh, no, job. you're doing a
2: great job. And let's step back a little bit. And can you tell us the story about public extension? Where did you get this idea from and how did you develop it?
3: Yeah, so uh, like I said, it's not actually my idea originally. Um, Uh, Just Dave Singh had been running it for I think about maybe eight or nine months and then he put it down for like you know 10 months and it was because he was putting them out every single day that's pretty tough pace for him to maintain and then you know he just kind of said like it's not a project that I want to be doing forever so maybe I shouldn't devote the resources to it and I thought well you know it's if if i took the pace down to like once a week and i had my own ideas around it how to like reach out to other people cuz posting to twitter is um an interesting mechanism but at the same time it's kind of transient and i like the idea of just kind of waking up every sunday morning to a swift snippet to a you know to an extension that can help me out
2: and i see that you've got um a GitHub repository. And if people want to see things from the past, they don't have to feel left out because they just subscribe, right?
3: That's right. Um so you can go to GitHub.com slash merge sort slash public dash extension. And um over there you can check out all of the commits. Admittedly not all of them are uh, exactly updated to Swift 4, because it's it's keeping up with Swift versions is quite a tedious task. But um yeah, all of them with minor tweaks, in some cases, compile and you can just grab them and go for your own code.
2: And you distribute, at least over at GitHub, using a playground, which I really was surprised to see. And I'm delighted, actually, to see it. Can you tell me more why you decided to go with a playground rather than individual files?
3: Uh, that's a good question. Um Technically I didn't make that decision. It was already a playground, but I think it's actually a really uh I think it was a good decision. I think that um people are able to grab the playground and just run the code. And they're able to try it out without any real like um there's no friction. And I really like that about the format itself. I, I kinda wish that playgrounds are more fully featured. Um, but this definitely gets me like, you know or it gets anyone who checks it out a good part of the way to already knowing how this would look in their own code.
2: One of the other things about Playground is it has the documentation feature, that, that rich markdown. Um, it's actually a common mark. It's not markdown, but close enough. But it has that rich text part to it. So how do you use that to communicate about your snippets?
3: Uh, you know, I actually don't. That's actually a good idea that maybe I should really consider doing that in the future. Um, just like most developers, I don't love documentation. And so uh, I guess I haven't really considered it for this. Um, usually the tweet or the newsletter itself goes into depth pretty, mo- pretty well about why the extension is useful. And um, it usually comes with an example that shows you how you can do it um, in your own code or, you know, a way that you may not have thought of doing it. And so um I haven't used it in the playground,
4: but maybe I should consider that. Does the that playground work on iPad as well? Have you tried it? I have not. I don't see why I wouldn't though. It uses uh all
3: of these are just like either UI kit or foundation type um extensions. So it should work just fine. You can tell me yourself and feel free to tell me what's broken. Cool.
2: And do you have a community of discussion about each of these snippets? Is there a place where people can then, you know, respond to them and tweak them and add to them and so forth?
3: Uh, so people do respond on Twitter, actually, when I post them. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had posted an extension that I thought was really nice. It basically um, was an extension on collection that allowed you to pass in a range. So you can say like, or actually pass in individual indices. So you would say, um, you know, my collection and then like one, three, four, seven, and it would give you the, you know, the second element, the fourth element, the fifth element and the eighth element. And it was a really nice extension. And then someone else, uh, saw that. And since I made the extension, the indices that went in were an array. He said, well, if you just, um, use, uh, I forget how to pronounce it. Variadic arguments. Um, then you'll be able to get rid of the wrapper around, you know, the index, the indices themselves, and that ended up making it really nice. So you go like collection one, two, three, four, and you get the first four output, the second, third, fourth, fifth element, or mm-hmm. zero, one, three, five. So people just respond on Twitter, and that's how I get feedback for it. And I ended up updating the extension and giving credit to that person.
5: I'm curious if you have any insight into what kind of people. Uh, are you know, follow the Twitter account, get the newsletter, and are are um, using these snippets every week?
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty easy to say that it's iOS developers because they're the people who are interested in Swift. I think, um, from just general observation, it seems like people of all skill levels seem to be interested. You know, people who are working at big companies, people who are working at small companies, people who are doing this on the side, people who are independent developers. Um, you know, the code can really help you in a code base, either at a very low level or a very high level. Some of them are uh, very practical, and some of the extensions are very esoteric. So there's no real limit in terms of, you know, who's included or excluded from the newsletter.
1: So what makes a good extension? If someone has, like, a cool snippet, like, how do they submit that? Like, what do you look for?
3: Uh, That's a good question. There's no... General rule for what makes a good extension. Obviously the code has to be isolated and not too dependent on other things. So if you're going to make a UI view extension, try and keep it to a UI view and um, try not to add too much either overhead computationally or the same way that in your code you you wouldn't want to just drag in any random code. Um, that said, um, I've gotten some extensions that are really good in principle like the idea behind it is really good, but maybe the code isn't quite optimized yet. And I'm happy to work with uh, the person submitting it to try and make it even better and then get it posted in the newsletter.
2: Is your goal to produce ideas for people who are writing production code, or is it more for people who are Swift learners?
3: Um, I think it's both. I don't think that there has to be... um, one distinction over the other, especially because the audience is so wide. I think that people are uh, people who want to, you know, submit something that's like, I use this in production, there's tons of that. And people who want to say, like, this is a really cool way to partition a collection or this is a really cool way to, like, you know, search the word array. That's also totally fun. Even if it's not necessarily practical, it could just be uh, a really interesting idea.
2: There's a reason I'm asking, which is that as something becomes more production-y, you become far more invested in runtime, space-time limitations and performance on the whole. And because of that, production code often is less clear and less straightforward than, you know, sample code for teaching. And I'm wondering, have you considered how that affects the the um, extensions that you deliver?
3: Sure. Um, I haven't really thought about it, but I would say that ideally, the parts that make up a production system are clean and isolated, and that the messiness happens once you're actually integrating all the parts together. So I would imagine that the extensions could actually be you know clean and isolated on their own. and then, the reason that it looks messy is that when people start using them in production, it ends up, um, feeling like, you know, there's a lot more going on. So I would recommend probably submitting something that feels, how do I say, I guess production ready, but that doesn't necessarily discount, um, anything that's, you know, uh, it should just be isolatable at the same time.
2: A lot of times the most beautiful solutions the things that just kind of make you go, oh, that's a lovely piece of code, Uh are not necessarily optimized. They they, they may be, you know, computationally a little bit too complex. Uh And that's often where people step back and say, hmm, how can I rejigger this to put in, you know, a cache or, you know, something that saves partial solutions or things like that? And that's when production code really starts to get complex. Have you found in any of your your examples that people are considering how to shave, you know, microseconds off of what they're producing, or is this really more to showcase and highlight features? Um,
3: well, it is a way to showcase and highlight features. But for example, uh, there was an extension submitted that had very clearly like a quadratic runtime and you know that's not something that i would want to ship and so we worked it down to actually make it you know pretty simply like a linear time uh equation and or a linear time um algorithm and that's good enough so you know sometimes you start from a point that is this is really pretty and you end up with this is really practical and useful and um, ideally, we're shooting for that. So how do people
1: find your snippets? Do they they know of you? Do they follow the Twitter account? Are they, are they Googling for things and finding them?
3: I think the majority of them actually, uh, the Twitter account tends to get a lot of sharing. So retweets and likes. And that ends up exposing it to people who hadn't previously seen it. I think uh, I'm still kind of learning the ropes of how the newsletter works, because it's relatively new. Um, but it's not exactly a viral thing. Like people don't just go and forward emails as much as people, you know, hit the retweet button. Um, but I'm trying to see what other ideas I have to possibly extend the range of that.
1: Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, how many, how many people subscribe to the email versus on Twitter?
3: Um, so, the email's new. It's, I think, about 150 or so, maybe a little more subscribers, um, or about five or six issues in. And the Twitter account has I think almost twelve hundred followers um, so you know, hopefully we'll have more subscribers after this podcast. but at the same time uh, it's a it's a decent amount of reach, considering it's relatively new. okay, so
1: a lot of people like start newsletters to gain more reach and have d- different goals like did you have any
3: goals for the newsletter? um I think personally this year i've just been very invested in um focusing on how to like disseminate information like what is the best way to reach out to people and help them learn in whatever capacity that means um so this is about swift but i have personal goals of you know helping people learn other things and um i'm using this as a a way to just really test out those theories and i'm really happy about the reception that's gotten, that people seem to really enjoy using it. And that also, um, you know, kind of fuels me to find more extensions every week and help other people learn.
1: So what type of things have you learned about getting information out there?
3: Um, Well, newsletters work a lot better than I thought. I actually had an RSS feed set up for other things that I uh, post and... Unfortunately, not many people uh, subscribe to RSS, even though it's my you know, uh, distribution medium of choice. I think um, after
1: Google Reader dropped, RSS was dead.
3: Yeah, how, I feel... That's just how it went. Yeah, there's a more of a sub-community around RSS now, and those people are really passionate, myself included. But um, it seems like a newsletter is a kind of low-friction, high-entry uh, point in the sense that everyone has email and everyone can sign up. And, um, you know, what's really interesting to me has been like how many people are reading this. I think like 80 to 90% of people open this email every week and compared to other newsletters, that's crazy high. And it really just, uh, kind of illustrates the fact that people are enjoying this on a regular basis. Like there's been almost no people who have unsubscribed. And, um, my goal is to try and figure out what is that formula that, Helps people keep coming back.
1: That makes sense. Well, I mean, one thing they tell you if you're doing a newsletter is like find something that's focused. Don't focus on everything. And you you've done that. You send Swift snippets, and so that's it. people sign up for it because that's what they want, and you deliver it
3: to them. So that's that's a good example of that. I'm not sure how I could focus it any more than I currently am. Maybe I'll just start sw- sending Swift characters. Only UI view snippets. Yeah, or only one line of code. There
1: you go. There, there are, our audience, there's your newsletter idea from me. Who doesn't know that much about newsletters? So carry on.
4: I want to ask a more philosophical question, I guess. Um, and I think many people might be asking this, and I know the answer is probably not easy. But how do you keep yourself motivated, and how do you like keep going at a project like this? we've seen many newsletter type projects die recently. And I think one of the reasons is because it doesn't really get you anything in terms of too much money or something. So how do you keep yourself motivated?
3: Uh, Yeah,
4: so I mean, a little inside baseball, but uh,
3: ideally I would like to monetize it later down the road, assuming that there is enough of an audience. Uh, I don't want to do anything, um, you know, too bad. I don't want to like, you know, shove ads down people's throats and stuff like that. Um, But at the same time, um, I I do think that will somewhat be important for the continuing motivation. Um, Right now, I'm very much so motivated by just the fact that it's actually getting good response. And um, I really enjoy seeing people learn. Like, it's probably one of the core things that I am focused on in my life is helping others learn. And so this is just a really interesting, good outlet for that, that I'm happy to explore in the meantime. I can't promise the newsletter will be around forever. Um, nothing lasts forever. But at the same time, uh, you know, dare I say, enjoy it while it lasts.
0: A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks. To promote the App Center. A continuous integration, delivery, and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and Mac OS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five star, high quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Yeah,
1: plus side of... Like if you have a focused newsletter, is that you can, you can give them content that might be paid content or an ad or something, but give it, give it something that your audience actually cares about. You know, it's not going to be like a mortgage thing. It's going to be something that with Swift or something that you, people that want to read about snippets would actually care about. So you can make a little bit of money doing that without annoying your people with you know, spammy, crappy ads. You can actually do things that would provide your readers value.
3: Yeah, that's that's definitely a consideration of mine. Um, at the same time, I guess I don't... Uh, I'm I'm happy to see how this goes as it goes and uh, kind of give it the old college try in the meantime.
1: So do you use any software to help you with the newsletter?
3: Um, not much. I use actually this really cool website. It's carbon.now.sh and um, it allows you to paste in code and then generates images, downloadable images like high-quality allows you to use multiple fonts, padding, spacing, all this kind of stuff that like really looks like a code editor to produce the code and so I'm able to just paste in the code, tweak it a little bit, and then get out the images that I use for the newsletter and then I link those images that when people click them they go to the original like the hist- the history of the commit um of the code so that way it's they're able to actually dissect the code and paste it into their own uh, projects if necessary.
2: How do you and, develop the story of each piece of code? Because you're not just sending out code. You're also sending out descriptions and how to use it. How, what is the process you use? That's
3: a good question. Um, I just like to think about how I would use the code or how I would integrate it into an app. And usually it comes from there. Like it's not um, There's not too much depth. In terms of that, I maybe it's just my perspective, and maybe that's what some people are enjoying—is seeing a perspective. But I don't really, not really sure in terms of uh, how that all comes together.
2: The uh, CarbonNow.sh website is really cool, Um, but it doesn't actually run the code, right?
3: No, it's just for generating images. Uh, since you asked what I use, um, I just use that and I test everything out in a playground before I actually ship it to you know, to the newsletter. Um, so I make sure that the code runs as opposed to just
2: hoping and guessing and pasting uh, PNG. How does that site work with keywords and so forth for context highlights? Uh, it seems to
3: work fine. I think that the way it does it is probably similar to like how vim or textmate or all the other plugin type systems work but i'm actually not 100% sure how they do it under the hood it is open source i know that but i haven't had a chance to look through it
2: does it just guess the language or do you have to specify it
3: uh, it has an auto detect but also you can specify so i specify Swift just to make it easier
5: i'm trying to dig through the source and see what they're doing i'm also doing that <laughs> but I don't even know where to look. That's really cool. I hadn't seen that before. You should have saved that for a pick because that's a, that's a good, good one. I actually end up needing something, something like this a lot because I make educational material and end up making, you know, slides and and videos and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing that include code. And I always put my code in Xcode and then copy and paste it into something that has a rich text, uh, you know, like keynote will preserve the coloring, but images would actually be nice.
3: That's what I was doing, too, and then I just ended up uh, stumbling upon this. I was like, wow, this would be perfect for generating the newsletter.
2: Have you looked into any of the online uh, playgrounds or you know, sandboxes? Because if you remember, about a month ago, IBM shuttered their um, shared Bluemix playset. Play And that left a lot of us without a place to share our code as we were, you know, talking through the internet. Do you have any favorites for collaborative Swift development sites?
3: I do not, actually. I also like the Bluemix site. Um, I believe it wasn't updated for a while. You know, it was still running Swift 3, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, they deprecated it last year around January, but they just, you know, gave it the old boot um, a few weeks ago.
3: I haven't really found a replacement for that. I saw someone um, had recently come out with a project that lets you run like embed Swift snippets and run them on your own site, but I actually uh, haven't tried it <laughs> out
2: myself. Yeah, we kind of all got spammed by that guy. Um, uh, but that's really using Swift instead of like PHP. It's not really meant for collaborative Swift development.
3: That's fair. And uh, I guess I don't have anything in that respect uh, myself. If I had any secrets, I'd be happy to share them.
2: Because I really love the idea if you're developing these snippets, you know, being able to do a back and forth where, you know, you sort of tweak it. Well, what about this and try it out and it's runnable in that environment?
3: Yeah, no, I would love a tool like that myself.
2: Well, is
1: there so, anything else we should cover before we get to the pics?
2: I was thinking... Joe is there anything going on in the Swift community right now that's you know you're just really finding yourself excited about that you know inspires you
4: uh,
3: you know it's a little bit of a dead time right now because from March till like June nothing really happens. I mean Swift 4.1 is gonna probably ship soon but uh, I think we're all kind of just waiting on Swift 5 xcode 10 or xcode x if they want to call it that or like you know see what happens there but at the same time uh, i haven't really heard anything of late
2: are there any tools out there that are new that you've been seeing around that you find really exciting or inspirational
3: um i just saw that today sketch actually shipped a UI toolkit inside of like uh, Apple's UI toolkit is now a part of sketch and they ended up shipping um a whole bunch of features that should streamline the designer to developer flow in this like um I believe one of the features is prototypes so you can actually generate kind of prototypes um in sketch as opposed to having a separate tool for that um but no, not especially, according, not, not especially specific to Swift. I just think that's actually really cool for uh, iOS development in general.
2: I know that a lot of people have been predicting that we're going to see some major changes introduced at this year's WWDC in terms of the way that Mac development kind of gets pulled under the iOS umbrella and I know Guy in particular has been looking pretty closely into this. Guy, do you think that's going to have a big effect on these kind of tools like the one that Joe mentioned?
4: Well, uh, I'm pretty sure it will. Uh, we just don't know how exactly they're going to approach it. If they're going to just make a new UI design for those apps or if they're going to just like use the same UI as on iOS. So we'll have to see if they go with a different UI paradigm. We're probably going to see some changes to these tools.
2: Is it time for a new design language refresh for the entire product line?
4: I don't think so, but Apple's opinion might differ.
2: <laughs> Joe, any thoughts?
4: Um, You know, I'm as clueless as everyone else out there. Um,
3: All the rumors sound great to me. I would love to see uh, more iOS-like apps. I've been arguing for a long time that you could probably take an iPad app and port it 90% over, and you already have um, basically what I would like to see Mac apps to be. Like, you just have to probably do the last 10 or 20%. Um, And even iPhone apps, now that, you know, you have some apps that are better operating in like a slimmer mode kind of like um I use tweetbot and it's just a thin line to kind of re- if you could just take the iPhone app and port it that would be great um and apps that I use in split screen kind of feel like larger iPhone apps on my 13-inch MacBook Pro so I'm all for all this moving but I don't have any particular insights I don't uh I don't dive deep into the code the same way that Key does for example
1: so using a Mac app would be just like running the simulator for us, right? Running an app in the simulator. I wonder if they would need to add touch screens to to bring that in without making big changes to how the apps are built. Because, you know, iPad apps and iPhone apps, they're all based around touch, which we don't really have with the Mac. I wonder if that's coming.
3: I don't know. I use my apps in the simulator. I don't think that the apps will run in a simulator-type mode. Um, just you know, to make sure that that's clear. But I use apps in in the simulator all the time and I can get my stuff done. I think that the touch part is a little overrated. The cursor is actually like more precise than the, the finger is. Um, so, you know, it's, there's probably going to be some UI changes that I would prefer to see, but I don't think that it's, a lot of adaptation that will need to be made that you need to add a touchscreen onto the Mac, for example.
5: Okay, that's a good point. I mean, never, things... you never say never, but App, and Apple has plenty of times said, oh, we'll never do this, and then gone turned around and done it. But they've said for a long time that they think touchscreens on a Mac are a bad idea because your arms get tired if you're yeah, holding I, them up all I, the time.
3: I don't think there has to be a giant split philosophically in terms of touchscreen versus non-touchscreen. I think it's more the kind of software that generally or the permissions that the software generally has. And Apple has kind of been moving um the Mac with sandboxing and all that kind of stuff for a long time to a more restricted permissions model. And so I don't really I I, I don't think that the convergence will happen iOS to Mac as the end all be all. It might be iOS to Mac to then iOS kinda as they expand the iOS footprint. But there are so many, you know, different possibilities and so far down the road that it's impossible to predict for me at least.
2: One of the things we ask a lot of people who show up on the podcast is do you see X code for iOS?
3: I don't really think so. I mean, I would love it. And I mean, given an infinite amount of time, probably, but I don't know how it actually plays into the like Apple ecosystem. I think if you do have a editor that works on iOS, it'll probably only resemble Xcode, um, like the main editor pane. Um, and then everything else that will be built around it has to be built differently because Xcode, like current iOS development is so dependent on external tooling as well that I don't know how all of that gets moved over to iOS in a clean way in the way that iOS is currently You know, gated from app to app.
2: So, what are the technologies that you're really excited about? Because we are in that, you know, three month window. We know that WWDC is going to be announced any moment. What are you looking for in terms of Apple's changes?
3: Um, That's a good question. I think there's. Like low-hanging fruit across all the platforms. Obviously, besides stability, I would like to see like the watch get a little bit of a rethinking. I've kind of wanted to step back away from apps more and think about like notifications and um, interactions, other kind of interactions that you can have on the watch, um, and expanding Siri's presence across the platforms. So you know Siri on the HomePod is hampered compared to Siri on the watch compared to Siri on the iPhone. And also, I I can't see how they stick with like, you know, I think it currently supports five or six intents. And ultimately, I would like to see it be able to move over with a server component where you can actually talk to a server that's not directly, like you may have to have the app installed, but you're able to actually do a lot more complex things that aren't specifically tied to those intents. But other than that, it's it's really hard for me to say that there's anything that uh, is low hanging fruit that I can look at and say, oh yeah, that definitely needs to change.
1: So, anything else we want to cover before we get to the picks?
3: Uh,
1: I'm okay. All right. Well, let's do it, Erica. What do you have for us?
0: Want to automatically build, test, and release your iOS and macOS apps? Try App Center. Connect your repo within minutes, build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. Spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Visit appcenter.ms and get started for free.
2: My pick for this week is LeetCode. Uh, I think it's LeetCode.com. Not sure about the extension, but what it is is a huge, huge collection of challenges for developers. And I think it's written specifically for people who are boning up on doing interview skills, but for anyone who is in development, it gives you these little challenges that you can then play with and mock up and test and then The site starts throwing at you. Well, make it run faster or make it run in, you know, less space. And I just think it's a wonderful playground for anybody, not playground as in, you know, Xcode playgrounds, but, uh, you know, a virtual playground for just playing with code, learning code and, you know, going back to all those data structures and algorithms that, you know, you sort of have in your head, but you haven't touched for, you know, a while. It's, it's a really wonderful thing that, you know, exercises that. So it's sort of like a gym membership, but for coding.
4: Very cool. E, what do you have? I have a book. I've been in vacation for the last week or so. And I had no Wi-Fi, only 3G, and it was spotty. So I brought a book with me. And of course, it's a technical book. I purchased the OS Internals Volume 1 book from Jonathan Levine. Uh, You can find it on Amazon or newos10book.com. And basically, uh, he goes into lots of details on the internals of all of Apple's systems, including macOS, iOS, tvOS, watchOS, and even the bridgeOS that runs on the touch bar and on the iMac Pro. So, yeah, it's a really great book if you like to dig into details of how this stuff works. And it's a quite a uh, long book. It's like 500 pages long. I really enjoyed it.
1: A little light reading for your vacation.
4: I like it. Yeah, light.
5: Andrew, do you have a pick for us? Got two picks today. Um, my first one is an app that I have I have not actually tried yet. I need to download and try it. I just found out about it yesterday, but it, it's in beta right now. It's called T Code, like, like the tea that you drink, T-E-A code. Um and it's basically a, a, a fancy snippet manager app for, well, not just for Xcode, but probably for Xcode and any other text editor you want to use on your Mac. Uh, The thing that's cool about it and the thing that it seems to do better than Xcode's built-in snippet feature is it's really easy to um, define placeholders and not just placeholders, but you can include the the text to be filled into the placeholder in sort of a macro definition. So you can type a little bit and then have it expand the snippet and it will already do things like fill in a, a specific variable name in multiple places, that kind of thing xcode snippets can actually do that but they're kind of hard to set up and they're not super easy to trigger and all of that uh so anyway it looks pretty cool i think it's gonna, i think it's 10 bucks right now while it's in beta it's going to go up um i'm going to try it out my second pick also something i don't actually own right now but i'm really excited about uh target in the last 24 hours as we record this target sort of surprise released a uh, handheld game of the oregon trail and hmm. they they seem to have done a really good job. It's I I don't people are trying to figure out what's actually in there hardware wise. It seems to be some kind of emulator running an actual old version of Oregon Trail. It looks just like the Apple II, maybe the DOS version of Oregon Trail. Um, you can only get it at Target. You cannot get it online. You have to go to Target and find it. They don't even have an online page for it. So go try to find one. I think it's like twenty five bucks. I'm gonna go try to buy one today. Those are my picks.
1: That sounds cool. So I've got one pick. So how many times have you tried to look something up? Like, okay, this app was released in 2015. Like, what version of Swift was that? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, what what sizes does this phone support? Uh, all that type of stuff. Um, what if you had like one spot where you could get all those questions answered? You know, how do you do a closure in Swift? What what, what resolution does this device have? know, what fonts are in this iOS version? There's one spot. It's called iosref.com, and this is done by a local dev from Minneapolis. And it's just a quick reference for all the stuff that you look up all the time. Like, what are the marketing guidelines that you had to send to my client because they don't know anything about submitting the app? It's like, okay, well, you had to do all all this stuff. You don't want to pay me to do it. But review guidelines, marketing guidelines, um, Apple Docs, all the stuff that you, you look up all the time. And we go to Google. But you can go to iosref.com and check it out. And, yeah, it's a good good little resource. So I've been using it when I need to look things up. So that's my pick. Joe, do you have a pick for us?
3: Yeah, so it's not new, but I try to shill it at every opportunity I get. I love the service pocket. I love being able to take everything with me and read wherever I can. And honestly i will continue to chill it every single opportunity i get so i'm gonna make my pick for the week pocket
1: cool put a put a link in the in the show notes and we'll get them in there for you awesome well that's our show today joe thanks a lot for coming out and telling us about your newsletter so if you want ios snippets sent to your mailbox we'll have info in the show notes where you can find that but if you want to get in a hold of you joe how do they do that
3: uh, so, yeah, my Twitter handle is MergeSort, M E R G E S O R T. Same on GitHub, same pretty much everywhere on the internet.
1: Excellent. Well, that's our show. Uh, we'll see you all next week.
5: Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Joe.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.